Good morning. Uh, my name is Evan Hollins. I'm a deacon here at Ogletown, uh, and I'm going to be reading this morning's passage from Romans 3, uh, 20 through 26. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness, because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness as the pres- at the present time so, there, so that he may be just and the justified of the one who has his faith in Jesus. Thank you, Evan, for reading. I am definitely not a photographer, but when you talk to one, when you talk to a photographer, you get an idea of the difference that changing a lens can make on a particular photo. Lenses can bring you really close. A lens focused on a particular thing can isolate everything kind of away from that and and highlight one in particular aspect of what's being photographed. Lenses can can zoom out and you get a a wide picture. They can zoom in. When, When you change a lens, you can be looking at the same thing but it's almost like you're looking at something entirely different. We're going to spend the next several weeks looking at grace, particularly God's grace. Each week we're going to change the lens. Each week we're going to see something new and see something different about God's grace. The series is Snapshots of Grace. In each one of these snapshots, we're going to see realities that God wants to remind us of and wants us to understand and remember. And it's going to be a series of word pictures that help us better understand grace. With each snapshot, I think we will we'll be able to relate to what God has done for us, relate to it in better ways, or at least in fresh ways. Our understanding might go a little bit deeper and our appreciation might grow a little greater. The first snapshot of God's grace that I want us to focus in kind of the lens we're going to be using this morning is actually a legal lens. And it takes us inside of a courtroom because God uses legal and judicial terminology. And the snapshot we're going to see is a snapshot of justification. Justification. We're brought into a courtroom. And what matters in a courtroom, what matters there is the right thing being done. What matters in the courtroom is that a person is either proven to be in the right or not. If someone or something is innocent, then what matters in the courtroom is they should be vindicated. If someone or something is guilty, We hope that in the courtroom, this is recognized. Our first snapshot of grace gives us this picture. So imagine with me, a person is on trial. 
And actually, as we look closer, we can see that that person on trial is us. We are on trial for something that we have done against God. And so as the charges are brought, our question might be this. How how do we end up there? How do we end up with charges being brought against us before God? What do we do to put us in that position? The first thought is maybe it's all a misunderstanding. As the charges come, maybe it's just something something like ticky-tack that isn't isn't that big of a deal. Could it be just a light offense? Like, ah, I was only going 47 and a 40, and it was kind of a speed trap anyway, and really, uh, you know, should we really make that big a deal out of something that's so minor? But then we find and quickly realize this isn't just an honest mistake. That's not the way it goes down in this courtroom. God is not just being nitpicky. And if you leave here with that sort of impression, then it will be my fault. It will not be Scripture's fault because Scripture doesn't present a nitpicky God who's just looking for the least little offense that he can really press you on. Scripture paints such a different picture. Actually, where Scripture starts, it tells us of the very character of God, and it says it this way, God is love. Before God even gives a law to humans, in eternity past, he, he exists as love. He loves us before we're born. This is who he is, and his love is holy love, and his love is perfect love, not, not even half-hearted love like ours can be sometimes. And here's the problem. Here's why the charges are being brought against us. Because although God is loving, we've disregarded that love. We, we sing a song here occasionally that love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. And that's absolutely true. God's love for us, that kind of love for you would demand everything you've got. But instead, we treat it sometimes like we could care less. We even question like, is God holding back on something? Is he that loving? God's the one that created us all in his image, the only thing in all creation that actually bears his image. And yet we decide, no, I think my way is best. We, we disregard our creator and we rely on our own strength. The charges are being brought. God made us to be in perfect relationship with him. And yet sometimes we don't even acknowledge him. Sometimes we question his goodness. Sometimes we might never verbalize it, but sometimes we think we could do just as well on our own, if not a little better. Do you see how the charges come up? God is love, God is righteous, God is just, God has given laws, and yet we've blown all this off. We all have. We all have. We've failed. And, and if we want kind of some objective standards to this, where, where would we start? Well, we could start with probably a familiar place for most religious people, and that's the Ten Commandments. And then we begin to go through those Ten Commandments. Is any of us, are, are any of us getting through that list of Ten Commands saying, yep, fully obeyed those completely? 
If ten are too many, Jesus simplified it to two. He gives two great commands, right? Love God and love your neighbor. And when ten go to two, we don't do any better at that. Oh, it's not that we, we wouldn't like at least try to say we want to obey these two commands of loving God with all of our heart, loving our neighbor as ourself, but our track record does not bear that out. If we want to even simplify it to just one golden rule that Jesus gave us. We don't follow that one either. We assume the worst about others. And too often we don't treat people as we would want to be treated. We've failed. We've rebelled. And the charges keep coming. That's why what Evan read a moment ago, Romans 3.23 says, For all, there's no distinction here. All of us have sinned. And we miss God's glory. We miss the glory of his love. We miss the glory of him creating. We miss the glory of him making us to be in right relationship with him. And none of this is invisible to God. So there is a a person who writes defending the faith, uh, defending Christianity named Greg Kugel. And he says this, every misdeed, and he, he writes this in the story of reality is the name of the book. Every misdeed has been logged. Every sin has been written down. Every careless word has been noted. Every act, motive, desire, and thought is exposed before God. Who on earth would do well with that kind of scrutiny? None of us can argue, that's not fair. How dare God judge? I mean, we're not going to raise our voice against God. Who's going to fare well under that scrutiny? It's fair, but it's also devastating at the same time. The charges come. So how are you doing? How am I doing? What are our chances as the, the charges mount against us? Well, if we're in a courtroom, then there's a time, an opportunity for us to give a, a defense. So what is the defense? Well, our first defense might be kind of knee-jerk. Well, I, we, we've actually behaved. You know, we're not that bad of people. We've tried, right? And, and even if we haven't done our best all the time, we could promise right here, right now, you could promise this morning, before I leave, I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to try harder. I'm going to buckle down. But what does our effort gain us when we've turned our back on the God who loved us? Try a little bit harder. Or, or here's a, a defense mechanism I want to bring kind of as part of my defense. Well, I know we're all like focusing the attention on me, but what about him or what about her? I'm doing better than they are. I'm living a better life than they are. I'm, I'm looking pretty good compared to some other people I could name. And so we want to shift the spotlight a little bit, but I was thinking about this. I, I can try to make my defense that I'm better than the next guy. But a few weeks ago, I was flying, and, and we had gotten to the place where you, we, we had begun to descend, and you begin to, you begin to be able to make out houses and like cars moving down the road. And what's interesting, and I don't know exactly at what altitude it is, but I mean, you can look down at those houses and one of them might be a mansion and one might be a double wide. And frankly, there's a height at which it all looks the same. One car might seat eight people and another car may be a a tiny thing, barely able to be on the road. And then from that height, it all kind of looks the same. From God's vantage point, God's holy 
perfect, loving, just vantage point? Am I really going to say, I'm doing better than him? I'm doing better than her? Will that really be what I want to present as my defense? Even in saying it, it sounds so self-righteous. I'm better than 75% of the people. I mean, does that, is that really where we want to go with that? It's not. And if we expect to make it out of this courtroom okay by how well we keep God's law, by our works, by our good behavior, that way seems further and further out of reach. Scripture just summarizes it in this way. We will not be justified by keeping the law. Listen to Romans 3.20. By works of the law, no human being will be justified in God's sight. Galatians 2.16. A person is not justified by works of the law. Galatians 3.11. No one is justified before God by keeping the law. Romans 4.5 kind of tacks on as it relates to our justification. God can only justify the ungodly because there's no one that keeps the law. Did you notice those verses? They all use this word justify. They all talk about this word justification or being justified. What does that word mean? And I think it's important for us to to understand that because we might not use that word a ton in our daily conversation. Well, actually in the Bible to justify, and I'm I'm getting this definition from J.I. Packer, to justify in the Bible means to declare righteous. As a matter of fact, the root word for righteousness and justify is the same root in the original language. We get, we get kind of both, both of those words from this, righteous and justify. To justify in the Bible means to declare righteous, to be in the right, that that is of a man on a trial, that he is not liable. When he's justified, he's not liable to any penalty, but is entitled to all the privileges due to those who've kept the law. At this point, what is your hope for justification? Not, not being liable to the penalty and being entitled to all the privileges of keeping the law. What is your hope? Our inclination is to mount a defense to try to justify ourselves. That's so human, it's understandable. But hanging everything on our own righteousness becomes a dead end. It doesn't, it doesn't work. So where does that leave us? As the case is laid out and we have given our defense, where that leaves us is if we follow what God says about our situation, where that leaves us is really no question in our mind of guilt and innocence. We know what the right thing should look like here. In the courtroom, we know what this should be like. There's no... There's no excuses like, oh, oh, the judge didn't have all the facts. And we'll just, you know, kind of get some more facts a few years later and maybe more things will come to light. This is God we're talking about. He has all the facts. Or is this the kind of courtroom where it's kind of wink, wink, smile, smile. It's okay, you know, try to do better than it. Stay, keep your nose clean. Is it that kind of court? Not when you're turning your back on God's love. Not when you're telling your creator, I don't care what you say. This will not be that kind of courtroom. That will not be the way it goes down for us in God's courtroom. It's too serious to think that. So then the question is, what will the verdict be? When the charges are brought? The defense is made? What will the verdict be? And even beyond that, what will the sentence be? 
based on the verdict. So the verdict is announced in this courtroom. And the moment it's announced, there's like a shock that just goes over the courtroom. Because we thought we knew where this was going. But what's announced in the courtroom, and you can feel it as it it is announced, is the verdict is not guilty. The person being charged is justified. Completely exonerated. And here we have to just make sure our minds and our hearts wrap around this. We have to follow what God says has happened here because it is only, according to Romans 3.26 and Romans 3.30 and Romans 8.33, it is only God who justifies. So God is the one who can give this verdict. And, it, and we are told, we here, not guilty. How could this happen? How did this happen? Our internal sense of justice, and we're all wired with one, kind of is going haywire right now. Like, we would expect something very, very different. Even our our clear American legal protocol has to take a back seat to how God tells us his justice has worked in this moment when the verdict is announced. And here's how it works. Here's why we hear the verdict not guilty. Here's why we hear righteous. Here's why we hear no condemnation. Here's why we hear everything is now set to rights. It is because someone in our moment of guilt has stood with us, has stood with you, and that someone is Jesus Christ. He stood with you, and Jesus is righteous. So at the moment of that verdict, those who trust in Jesus and trusting him with their lives, and trusting him with their security, and trusting them, him with their future, and trusting him with their forgiveness, with the salvation of their souls. All those who trust in Jesus are united to him and have been exonerated, have been declared not guilty because of his righteousness. You are credited with his life because you're united with him. We are only justified It says in Galatians 2.17, we're only justified in Christ. Romans 5.9, we're only justified by his blood. And at the same time, he stands with you and you receive his righteousness. He stands in your place. He stood trial for your sin, for your guilt for the ensuing shame that you feel because of your sin and because of your guilt. And he is tried and judged and pronounced guilty. That was your record and my record that sent him to the cross. But on the cross, we hear these words right before Jesus dies on the cross. We hear him say, it is finished. So he pays for our sins. So do you see what's happening? We're being credited with righteousness and our sins are being paid for. It's a very limited analogy, but it is, as we are sinners coming together, being united with Christ, it's almost as if two companies are, when they merge, what happens is there are assets and there are liabilities with this company and there are assets and liabilities with that company. And when they merge, they assume all the assets and they assume all the liabilities and debts together. They become one. Or in a marriage, as two become one legally, everything now is tied together. I love the way 2 Corinthians 5, if you had like one verse to memorize, 
It would give you this snapshot of justification. I think this might be the one I'd recommend. For our sake, God the Father made Jesus to be sin, the one who knew no sin, so that in Jesus we might become the righteousness of God. This, is, this gets personal. How does that justification that Jesus brings, how does that become real and personal and ours? Let's press in. It only happens by faith. It only happens by entrusting ourselves to him and all that he's done for us. Justification only comes through faith. We're, we believe that we're united to him in his death. And we believe that he was raised for our justification, just like Romans 4.25 says. You're not guilty because of Jesus. You're justified in Jesus. You've been exonerated through Jesus. And you receive all this, not through working for it, but through faith. Scripture makes it so, so clear. Galatians 2.16 says, we know that a person is not justified by works. Okay, we got that. But through faith, through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified in, by faith in Christ. Galatians 3.24. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified, declared righteous by faith. And the one who does not work in Romans 4.5, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly. His faith is counted as righteousness. Or Romans 5.1, therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace. Let's not overcomplicate this. Let's not add anything to this. We're justified by faith in Jesus Christ, period. And because we are justified, we have peace. And we've been saved from wrath, like Romans 5.9 talks about. There is no condemnation for us, just like Romans 8.1 talks about. Let all this sink in. Because now we've got to ask, after the verdict is announced, what will be the results going from that verdict? What are the results? You know, we, we might not use terminology like justification very often in our day-to-day speech. But I'm positive that most of us in this room wrestle with whether we really are accepted by the one who matters most? Do we really believe that we're not liable to any penalty? Do we really believe that we're entitled to all the privileges that would come if we had kept the law perfectly? Do we really believe this? I've come to find that so many things in my Christian life go wrong because I don't really process deeply what it means to be completely justified by faith. We, we don't. We feel like we've got to prove something. We feel like we've got to prove something to ourselves. We feel like we've got to prove something to others. We feel like we've got to prove something to God. It shows up. It shows up in different ways. Different ones of us are going to like work for our justification in different ways. Some of you, you've got to get the grades. And if you get the grades, then it's going to tell you, it's going to tell you you're worth something. It's going to tell you you're accepted. 
Or some of you, there's this achievement, and once you get that achievement, everybody will know, and you will know, you will have proven to yourself, I did this, I, I'm accepted, I made it happen, I'm justified, I'm in the right here. Some of us, this is why we can't even let arguments, stupid arguments go. We always have to be right because we just want everybody around us to know, no, actually, I know what's right. Actually, I'm in the right here. Actually, you're not, I am. For some of us, it's, it's about getting a, a promotion or, or, or getting into this particular school or grad school. We struggle with our justification. And so often, when we hear the most important verdict has been handed down, and you're justified, welcomed, accepted, not condemned, and that's for eternity, we struggle because we wonder deep down, is this too good to be true? Is this too good? To be true? Maybe that's your gut reflex. You say, I'm not the kind of person that deserves this, Curtis. I'm not the kind of person that gets shown this this sort of grace. I I just, I, I, I don't deserve this. And I would tell you, actually, that kind of reflex, that inclination is absolutely right. We don't deserve it. But actually, we're talking about something very, very different. The Bible word here is grace, and that is giving us what we have not earned, what we would never deserve, and the Bible attaches justified. In Romans 3.24, we're justified by his grace as a gift. Well, yeah, you didn't deserve it. You never could. You never would. When we're shown this grace, we're humbled. We, we even see human examples of this. So a few weeks ago on Wednesday night, I was listening to a person in their 40s talk about when they were in high school and a, a principal could have held them, kind of held them to this like strict law and, and made them suffer for what they had done, but instead showed grace. I heard, I heard recently about a person talking, this person's probably in their 50s, talk about how their dad, when, when they were in high school, how their dad showed Amazing grace, even when the dad had him like dead to rights and could have just punished and thrown the book at him. We, we feel that. We feel something. I mean, it, we, we get emotional about it because we recognize this is just grace. We didn't deserve this. If we don't understand justification, we think it's all too good to be true and God's going to get us somehow. You say, okay, that's nice, you know. Courtroom analogy, I got it, but I, I don't think I'm out outrun this one. So that you get a diagnosis of cancer and you think, God must be judging me or my family, me for my, you know, for my past wrongs. Or you begin to suffer and you go, I guess I deserve it because of what I've done. I guess I'm paying for it because we don't really believe God has justified us and accepted us in Christ. We're insecure. Insecurities that make us proud and boastful and selfish. I think I got to do to make sure you're happy. I've got to do something more to make sure you're okay. To make sure I'm okay and I look decent in your eyes. Because you really don't trust that God accepts you based on what Christ has done. 
Could that be where you are? You see someone that's loud and obnoxious or someone that just always has to try to drop in their accomplishment or a name, a person they know, and you go, wow, that person seems really insecure. Could that be us? Because we really don't trust that we've been justified. We're anxious. We have anxieties and fears and stress that come because we think we might not be measuring up. I'm not even an amateur psychologist or psychiatrist. But you talk to people long enough. And maybe back in your history, there was a parent that never, like never gave their approval to you. Or maybe you've lived with a spouse that has never, like never welcomed and accepted you. And those things begin to be projected on God. And you begin to ask real, real questions. Or maybe you're just a, a perfectionist. You, you, you're never satisfied. You always want to do better. And yet you know you're living, because you're a sinner, you're, you're struggling with a, a stubborn sin or a secret sin that you never would dream of confessing or, or some sort of sexual sin. And, and you know that God knows and you always are questioning. There's something never quite right in your relationship with God because you've never really thought about how the justification that Christ gives speaks to that very thing. Or maybe you see your failures My goodness, don't we all? We see our failures in relationships, our failures maybe in marriage or in parenting. And you believe that if people ever really found out, maybe maybe if God ever really found out about the true you, you'd never be accepted. Maybe there's guilt over mistakes that actually at this point in time can't be repaired. The damage has already been done. Decades in the past, maybe the person isn't even living. You'll never make it up to them. And it always gnaws at you. Am I really justified? That inclination that God has to deal with our sin, that inclination is right. The facts are he has dealt with it. He's permanently dealt with our sin. That's why pretty regularly we sing, when Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within Upward I look and see him there who made an end of all my sin. Because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. Because God the just is satisfied to look on him and he pardons me. That is speaking to our soul the truth about our justification. What if you disciplined your heart to take all those insecurities and all those anxieties and run them straight to Jesus Christ and say, wait a minute, in the courtroom, I have been declared not guilty. There might always be a temptation to think this is just too good to be true. And there's also a temptation to too easily forget what all this meant. To too easily forget just how good the news really is. We think, well, I'll just try to pay it back or pay it forward or pay it somehow, some kind of direction to just make it all go away. I'll take care of it. We don't realize, we're foolish. We don't realize our righteousness could never, could never pay our sin debt. I wonder if things have gotten cold with the Lord because deep down you have not appreciated your justification. I wonder if when you pray, I wonder how long it's been that you prayed realizing you're praying to the one who secured 
you being accepted to God. And so when you say that little, like, little phrase at the end of your prayer, in Jesus' name, there's part of that where you're saying, acknowledging my justification before God comes through Jesus. Would that not change how I prayed? Would that not just change me from the inside out? We could go through the motions, but, but our heart might not be fueled. So we need to pray what David prayed. Restore to me the joy of my salvation. That's why we're looking at snapshots of grace. That, that maybe from now until Easter time, this would be a great season to take these weeks and let our heart be refreshed by God's grace, to be refueled by God's grace, that we would see these snapshots. And today, as we go into the courtroom... We can think about the charges against us. We can think about our pitiful defense. And we can know there's one that came and stood with us and stood in our place who knows the real us and loves us still. One snapshot, you put on the legal lens and you hear not guilty with good reasons. I don't know. Courtrooms kind of make me nervous. Like the closer I get to them, you get a summons to jury duty. And we need, we need you guys, and you're, you're, you know, you've got to say an oath, and it feels like this is, like, it always feels a little tense the closer you get to an actual courtroom. Start talking about subpoenas and warrants and charges and arrests. And the closer those things are to us, the more they get personal. We're not comfortable in that kind of setting. But as you read stories of people that were previously found guilty but now have been, with evidence that came out later, they've been actually vindicated and declared not guilty, my guess is when they think of that courtroom that day, they go, my life changed when that judge said, not guilty. And my guess is your life could change as you go into this courtroom And you hear the God of all creation, the God who loves you, because you are in Christ, you hear him say, not guilty. Put your trust in Jesus and bring that snapshot of grace to your heart. Can I ask you to bow your head? I want to pray. Pray for those that may not know what it means to be justified, that God would open your eyes as you continue to seek him, he would be found. I also want to pray for all of us that we would, that we know we're in Christ, but we need to really, really make this ours. Oh, Father, that's what I pray. Uh, I thank you for the justification that comes to us because of what Christ has done for us. We thank you that we're reminded again through this snapshot, through this lens, we've been declared not guilty. And because of that, our status here is not going to change cement this truth on our heart and when we are tempted to despair give us words to say give us prayers to pray give our hearts security and rest in all that jesus has done for us we ask this in his name amen